Welcome to You Had Me at Black. I'm Martina Abraham Zalunga. Check out this newest story, Leaving the Kingdom. It comes from Joy, who had to make a difficult decision between living the life her mother wanted for her or living life for herself. I want you to breathe all this in. You're listening to You Had Me at Black. Bl- bl- black. Right in the heart of the city. Bl- black. Man, black. listen, bl- man. Black, black. <laughs> this is You Had Me at Black, and we live, baby. So, about 10 years ago, I lost my mother. Now, before everyone goes, oh no, and clutches their pearls. My mom is alive and well. She's thriving somewhere on the south side of Chicago, probably with a six-piece from Harold's. So she's good. Um, But nonetheless, I lost her. Depending on who you ask, people give you a different opinion, but I can only tell you my perspective. Um, I was born into like a dual existence, if you will. It was a loving, dysfunctional as fuck dual existence. You see, my mom was a Jehovah's Witness. Scratch that, let me real. My mom is a Jehovah's Witness, and not just like any Jehovah's Witness, my mom is like super saved. So the best way I guess I could describe it is, if you could imagine like the Last Supper, you know, when Judas was about to go betray our Lord and Savior in all his deep condition glory. My mama was the one that walked in with the Dixie cups and was like, oh no, Christ, you're good. I'm here to save the day. Now, on the other side of things, my dad was the man that forgot to pray at Thanksgiving Day. Like, you look up and I'm like, so no, you just not gonna bless the dressing? Like, what is wrong with you? The only time that man ever went to church was if it was a wedding or a funeral. And to be quite honest, the most religious my daddy ever got was when like a Sox game was on. Don't bother him, don't talk. Definitely, he's in his zone. But the one thing I could give him is he taught me to always think for myself, you know, not to give way to groupthink, to be independent. My parents were oil and water, they were church and state, like at all costs, you were supposed to keep them separate. And the only thing that they more so agreed upon was the fact that they loved me. And I know they had their flaws, they had their issues, but they definitely tried their best. I was their golden child, hell, I was their only child, so for better or worse, I was the center of their world. So here I am on one side of things, growing up is this like dutiful Jehovah's Witness, it's like Harry Potter clone, she's gonna save the world from all the evils. And in actuality, I felt anything but that. I remember being that kid, probably interrupting y'all Saturday morning cartoons going, do you all wonder about a time when death will be no more? So probably half of y'all in here lied to me when y'all was like, my mama said to tell y'all we not home. I'm like, but sis, I can see you. Like, okay, like, like she's here. At the end of the day though, when I looked at my situation, I knew at 12 that I didn't want to be a witness, 12. While everybody else is like battling Pokemon and you know, Batman Beyond and all this other shit, I was going through like my first round of insanity. And I remember the situation that caused it too. My raggedy ass classmates was like, Joy, you should go with this boy. Remember how he was like, we go together, I go with him. 
But the problem with him was that he was lame as fuck. Like, I really hope he grew up to be a great, powerful black king, but when I knew him, his pants would like flood, and not like lightly flood, like them bitches came to his knees. And I'm like, I don't think I can do this anymore. I just, I really don't think it's gonna work out. Like at 12, talking about something I can't take it anymore. Can't take what? But I remember when I told him that, he looked at me, he was like, you know what? I'm gonna tell your mom and your dad. Like, I felt like Tristan Thompson. Like, you gonna what? Like, you gonna set me up like this? That's not cool. And the problem was, it wasn't just the fact that, oh, he was gonna tell my dad, because just because my dad wasn't a witness, he was still a parent. And the thing that I was afraid of most in the world was that he was gonna use that as a point to my mother, like, see, our daughter doesn't wanna live this way, you need to switch it up. And then on the other side of things, I knew my mom was gonna be like, oh God, she's losing her soul, let me pray over her for 45 hours, take her to the hall for a couple of days. And I'm just like, look, I didn't have time. I wanted in that moment to confess, but what could I do? Because I was what my mother was measuring her success against. She was like, oh, okay, well, you know, my daughter's doing all the right things. She's making all the right moves. Everyone wants to talk to her about Jesus. And my ass was a heathen. Like, I did a real good job of hiding it, but when I was with my friends, I was like, yeah, let's get it. Mike loving the Diz, we finna be at the Saka, fuck it up. And when I was with my mom, like, I love Jehovah, he's amazing. Did you see his hair? Like, no, lies. And I think the best way to describe it with my mom would be, it's kind of like how everyone looks at Miss Tina. Like, what did you do to just make her so passionate about Christ? Like, what do I need to do to make her have that type of ambition? But on the flip side of things with my dad, he would ask me like the simplest little things like, baby, do you want to go with me to, you know, your family's house for Thanksgiving? Or do you want to go out for some barbecue with them for the fourth? And I would tell him no, not because I really didn't want to go or because I didn't really trust my auntie's potato salad. It was more so the fact that I felt trapped. I didn't know what I was supposed to do in that moment because if I went with my dad, then I'd be hurting my mom. So it wound up being a thing of I would always tell him no. And the one thing that I still regret is the fact that I could still see him like sigh. And he was sad. But I couldn't do anything in that moment to take that away. And as I was growing up, I realized, I was like, look, this shit is for the birds. I love Jesus, but these rules are driving me fucking nuts. Like, I ain't got time for this. And so I knew that college, going to school was gonna be my out. That was gonna be my escape plan. And so I was prepping myself and getting ready, but I just could not pull the trigger to the point that even freshman year, my dumb ass commuted all the way back and forth. And if anyone remembers like Cat Williams, you know that joke he once made like, no, no nigga, with Chicago winners, you gotta get your coat from here for here. Like I was freezing my ass off. So when sophomore year came, I was like, okay, we doing this. I'm moving on to the campus. It's not gonna be a problem. And I remember it was the one of the few times I told my parents anything together. And I remember I told my parents, I was like, okay, I think it's best if I move on to the dorms, like I can't really focus on class. I remember like my daddy getting this slow smile on his face. And I remember the scowl that was on my mother's. 
and the pressure I felt coming off of her. Like, she made Precious's mama seem like somebody I'd go get a fill-in with. Like, <laughs> it's cool. Like, we could just go get this jail set real quick. I spent that summer in perpetual hell. It was like explosive fights, like the type of shit you see on like, y'all has fixed my life. I was like, well, I wish that show would have been out when I was a teenager, where the fuck was she then? And I remember at some points feeling like I just was at my wit's end, I couldn't do this anymore. Because I know everyone bops to like Lemon, you know that part where Pharrell goes, the truth will set you free, but first it'll piss you off. That's true, the truth will set you free. And at points, it will even upset you, but sometimes the heartbreak you feel from that, it will be enough to take you out. Because I had become a master at knowing what to say to please other people. I knew how to act when I was with my hall friends. I knew how to act when I was with my mom. I damn sure knew how to act when I was with my worldly friends and my friends who weren't necessarily witnesses. And that was another way when I was with my dad. But I had no fucking clue who Joy Colette Weathers was. And what made it even worse was the fact that silence, oh, like I could not stand silence because that's when I had to confront the fact that I felt like a phony and like a fraud. So I'm sitting here getting ready for college and the day comes for me finally to move on to campus. And my daddy, he was like an older guy, but he was like always real cool. So he was like kikiing with my friends. He was like talking shit. He was taking the boxes downstairs. And I'm not gonna lie, like a small part of me hoped that my mom would get her shit together, you know, that she would step off the high horse and just be like, you know what? I don't understand it, but I'm going to support you. So much for fairy tales. My mom didn't help me pack not one box. She didn't help me fold not one t-shirt. And I remember, it's amazing what you remember, I'm 29, but this happened when I was 19. I remember when I was getting ready to leave, she cornered me, she looked at me in my face and she told me, if you do this, you're letting me know how you feel about your relationship with God. And if you leave this house and you move on to campus, you are not coming back home. And I remember standing there feeling worse than I had ever felt in my life. Because the thing was, as dysfunctional as my home was, that was my home. Those were the dishes I had washed when my parents told me to. That was the bathroom I had cleaned up. When they asked me to take out the trash or to turn off the TV and study, I had done it. I was, for all accounts and purposes, that good kid. So you're telling me because I want schooling, because I'm not doing what you want, I can't come home? I didn't understand why I was basically being rewarded for telling the truth by having my whole life blow up in my face. Because not only did I lose my mom in that moment, but it further splintered my family. All my witness friends completely stopped talking to me. And then on top of it, here's the kicker, half of my mama's side of the family are witnesses too. 
So it wasn't just like I had to deal with one person not talking to me. I had to deal with like eight people not talking to me. And I remember being so enraged and in so much pain that at one point I was just like, man, you know, fuck this and fuck God. Because if this is what I get for telling my truth, for finally being honest with everybody, then I don't want to deal with this. So I'm moving on the campus, I'm shell-shocked, all my friends thought and bopping, I was doing it too. Y'all ain't hear that. <laughs> I'm grown, I pay my taxes. <laughs> and I'm trying to ignore the fact that I just feel empty inside. And on top of everything else, my daddy's ecstatic. Like, I'm still trying to shield him from the fact that I'm like, I am swimming in hell. And he's thinking, like, oh, my baby girl is finally just doing her thing. She's happy. She's in school. I'm so proud of her. But the tide began to turn, however, when one day my best friend, Novi, she was like, you know what? Boo, come go to church with me. And I was like, girl, what? Why? But the thing is, she had promised that we was gonna go to Joy E's afterward. And that's like my favorite Chinese restaurant. So pretty much for orange chicken, Nobi could have been like, bitch, we just going to hair real quick. And I'd be like, you know what? Let me tie up my hair. You know what humidity does to my leave out. I'm not even trying to deal with all that. So here we are in black church. I grew up at Jehovah's Witness. Black church is not that. Jehovah's Witness is very like, oh, like it's calm. You know, and black church is an assault on your senses if you ain't never been to it. Like everybody had on them little white gloves, like crossing guards, tambourines was playing. I thought Esmeralda from the, you know, Hunchback of Notre Dame was gonna come out. People was fainting. I'm like, why is her wig in her hand? It was just a lot. And I remember looking at them and be like, is it worth orange chicken for me to be in this? But I sat there because I was broke and hungry. And then something happened to me. I usually would detach, like whenever I felt like crying, I would just go to that place of completely ignoring my feelings. But crazy enough, the more I tried to do that, the harder it got. Like the more I was like, you're not listening to what's going on, you're just gonna ignore everything. And then I looked up, and I was bawling my eyes out. Remember when like Jocelyn told Steve, like, you ain't sending me back to the strip club? Like I was bawling, <laughs> like <laughs> mascara, lashes gone, looking like a true mess. And I remember hearing in my head though, something I will never forget. I hear, remember hearing it saying like, it's okay, Joy. You could let it go, it's fine. I know you're upset, I know you don't understand why you feel like you've lost everything. But you don't have to feel like you are alone, even as an only child. You don't have to feel that way, because I'm here. And I haven't left you. And I won't leave you. And that for me was the beginning of my healing. Don't get me wrong, I'm still a heathen, but see, you know, I love Jesus. I just curse a lot. It's fine. It is what it is. But I remember that being the beginning of my healing because it had to take me 10 years 
for me to come to grips and understand that I will never have the relationship I want with my mother. And the fact of the matter is, well, the main problem is, I should say, because her love for me will never supersede her love of her religion. Because she can only love me through the parameters of now what she is now measuring her motherhood as, which is I gotta bring my daughter back. I gotta bring her back into the fold. I have to show her the error of her ways. So it doesn't matter what I do. It doesn't matter that I had Emmys at 23. It doesn't matter that I had international campaigns. It doesn't matter that I work for one of the top companies. I could literally find the cure to cancer and she'd be like, but are you going to the hall though? I'm forever going to be her quest. And I think what I represent or what I hope to represent, I find we say a lot of times like, I mean, if it ain't benefiting you, cut it off, let it go. And that's fun, you know, when it's a fuck nigga you met on Tinder, let it go. The dick wasn't that good. And that's great when she talked about how good her head was and it was trash. Like, let her go. But when it comes down to something that's real, it's not that easy. I had to make a decision that in order for me to be free, in order for me to finally be in my truth, in order for me to finally be happy, I had to let my mom go. And just because you're removed from the situation doesn't mean that you don't still feel the pain of it. And even though you're trying to be positive about it, doesn't mean that it doesn't still tear you up. Because my mom is pretty bomb, you know? But I spent the first half of my life living for other people and doing what other people wanted me to do just for the sake of making them feel comfortable with who I was. And all that got me was me being afraid of my voice, being afraid of my shadow, depressed as all hell. And when it got really bad, not even wanting to be here. The stakes are too high. I can't afford to lose myself ever again like that. And what I have now is the weight has been lifted. I no longer have the guilt of lying to everybody. I no longer have the pressure of trying to please either one of my parents and disappointing the other. And I'm happy that my daddy got to see me living my truth before he died. That he got to see me being that young independent woman that he always taught me to be. And I don't have that misplaced rage I feel like God probably is in heaven, like, okay, girl, cute. I'm gonna let you have your little attitude. And then when you're ready, you're gonna get it together. And we're gonna have a conversation. So like I said at the beginning of my story, it's true. I lost my mom 10 years ago. But what I was able to find on this journey was my faith. I was able to find myself. And at the end of the day, Honestly, that is truly all that matters. Thank you so much for letting me share that with you all.
Make some noise for her one more time. That was, that was awesome. It was an awesome story. I totally feel home that, um, I told my grandmother that I was getting dreadlocks and she was like, that's ugly, no, I hate it. Um, my grandmother is like very Christian, like Kojic, Church of God in Christ. So it's like straight Christian. She was like, it's ugly, it's dirty. Them people worship the devil. But she couldn't disown me because then she had to get her own remote from off the, ta the table. So she just like, fuck it. She's like, fuck it. And she ain't, she ain't got nobody else to buy Link from, so she gotta fuck with me. <laughs> Bitch, you get your Link, I get my dress, motherfucker, okay? This is... And I want my $30. Fuck you, Grandma. No, I'm just playing. <laughs> I love my Grandma. This episode was mixed and mastered by Miles Dotson. Purposely Awakened is our national media sponsor. Their publication launched in the summer of 2016 to bring awareness to issues affecting the black community and to promote black businesses, campaigns, and movements. They fulfill their mission and purpose with socially conscious images, apparel, and content that promotes positive change within the black community. You can find them at purposelyawakened.com and connect with them at Purposely Awakened on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. The Tribe Chicago is our Chicago media sponsor. The Tribe is a digital media platform showcasing innovative content to reshape the narrative of Black millennials in Chicago. Their original works in journalism, documentary, and creative writing capture the multifaceted essence of Black Chicago from our point of view. As an independent alternative news source, they unify Black Chicago millennials in the common purpose to create a safer, more vibrant Chicago. You can find them at thetribe.com, that's T-R-I-I-B-E, or on Instagram, Facebook, or Twitter. Thanks for listening to You Had Me at Black. If you want to hear more stories like this one, leave a review. You're listening to You Had Me at Black.